So, it's Pentecost Sunday. Thank you, the three people at the back over there. Um, I know Pentecost is something that we are all in some ways familiar with because we are all in that kind of funny, are we Pentecostals, are we not? Because we put our hands up in worship and clap, so that, does that make us Pentecostals? I don't know. Um, well, the fact is that if you have the Spirit of God living in you, then yeah, you are a Pentecostal, really. All Christians should be Pentecostals. So you are one of the club, whether you like it or not. Um, but what is it about Pentecost? What is it about the Holy Spirit? Because I'm sure all of us have heard sermons about Pentecost and heard sermons about the Holy Spirit, probably in churches like ours that are charismatic. Um, you know, it would be a main uh, topic and subject. Um, so what I wanted to do is, if I'm honest, is look at the theology of Pentecost because I think it's really good to know something as in what it is, but also to know why. Because when you know the why, the what is a lot clearer and a lot more authoritative. So that's what we want to do this morning. Is that okay? Fantastic. Two people are happy about that. Brilliant. There was something going on in the worship that I want to kind of come back to and talk about. Um, so we're going to just change gear. Um, we had a tongue which was bought, and then there was an interpretation of the tongue, and we're going to talk a little bit about that a, a, a later on. Um, but the, the, the essence of the tongue was about God being a shield and being a deliverer. And for me, and um, this is one of these things where you hope that I'm not just projecting me, but I think it might be some other people. Then I think there might be some other people in the room who have had a bit of a week, which is not just, it's been a bit of a rubbish week, it's actually had some challenges to it. There's been some things that are unusual that have kind of come up and, and kind of hit you in certain sort of ways. Um, does anyone resonate with that? You're like, actually, God, I need you as a shield, I need you as a deliverer. If that's you, could you just stick your hand up, please? Nice and high, nice and high. Not just Christian, I'm embarrassed to put my hand up. You know, okay, if that's you, please stand. There's quite a lot of people, that's what I was thinking. All right, so church is people, which means that people minister to people. So if there's someone standing around you, please place your hand on them. Ask them, and obviously place your hand on a place that's okay to place your hand on them. And I want you just to start to pray for them. So if you're standing, keep your hand up in the air until you feel hands on you. Okay, put your hands up until you've got hands on you and just start to pray. We're only going to take a few minutes about this and then we're going to pray about it, okay? Because there's something been going on this week for many of us, I think. I think there's some spiritual stuff that's been going on for different people. Has everyone got their hands on? So just start to pray, pray out loud. What I want you to do is declare that God is the shield and God is a deliverer. That God stands in the way and that God changes circumstances. And start to just bless and pray that over people. So let's just do that on three. One, two, three. Yes, Jesus. Jesus. Would you come through, God? Would you come through, Lord? Thank you, the shield, you stand in the way. Thank you, you're the deliverer, and you transform circumstances, Father. So, Lord, we pray for breakthrough this week. You're a covenant-keeping God. Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come now in your with joy, with peace, and with righteousness? That's the signs of the kingdom. 
according to Romans. So, Father, bring joy where, where, where there is downcastness. Lord, bring peace where there is anxiety and fear. Lord, bring righteousness, which means a, an understanding and a lining up with how you see things, how you see circumstances or people. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and give everyone here what they need? God, we thank you that you are in covenant with us and you keep your covenant. Lord, you lend your resources and strengths to your partnership with us because you are the faithful one, God. So, Lord, in in the name of Jesus, Lord, I say, as thou shield and our deliverer, would you stand in front and protect those who need protecting? And would you bring transformation and shift in circumstances to those who need it? Would you release finances to those who need it? Would you transform relationships to those who need it? Lord, would you take things that seem to be dead and bring them to life? Things that are in darkness and bring them to light? Things that seem to be chaotic and bring them to order? Heavenly order, heavenly perspectives, Lord. We pray that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord, break through this week in Jesus name that the next weekend there will be testimonies about how you have you have stepped in and brought transformation Lord for every single person here who is your friend Lord we ask that in the name of Jesus and we break off fear we break off oppression we break off attack Lord we break off anything from the enemy trying to cause chaos and destruction Lord Holy Spirit come and encircle and protect in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus we look forward to seeing what you will do our faithful God in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Amen. The beauty about Christianity is it's not just about having a funny, feely moment. It's a relationship which actually is consistent because God is consistent because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even if you don't feel like it in five minutes, ten minutes, an hour, tomorrow, next week, he is still who he is. He's still on the throne. His promises and his word is still good. We're in covenant with him, and we're in Christ, which means that Christ does our heavy lifting on the covenant side. He does the work for us, and we enjoy the benefit. That's the gospel. That's the crazy goodness of the gospel. And if that feels like it's too good to be true, that's how you know it's the gospel. Okay? So that's the, th- that's the promise. So we can go to him when we need it. Amen? Okay. So if you have your Bibles with you, Scripture, can you go to Acts 2? Acts chapter 2. going to talk about Pentecost because it's kind of obvious what we should be doing this morning and Acts 2 is obviously all about that so we're going to just walk through Acts chapter 2 and just see what it says okay great because sometimes with Acts 2 we go woo tongues of fire wind woo yay great but there's loads of other stuff after that which is key for us to get. So we're going to look at that stuff as well. So there's four things in this passage I want to draw attention to this morning, okay, which we're going to walk through. We want to look at the power of the Spirit. We want to look at the life in the Spirit, mission by the Spirit, and then people of the Spirit, okay? So that's power, life, mission, and people in Acts 2. So what's the context of Acts 2? You know, we open this chapter. What's been going on before it, just to help us get it? Jesus walked the earth. He did his ministry, healing, signs, wonders, parables, teaching. He was crucified, but he rose again. He appears to his disciples, and over a period, he's teaching them things about the kingdom of God. And in Acts 1, 4 to 5 tells us, and this is the author of Acts who's Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he tells the reader that the disciples and Jesus were staying together and Jesus ordered them, the disciples, to not leave Jerusalem but to wait 
for the promise of the Father, which Jesus says, you've heard from me. For John, that's John the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So basically, stay in Jerusalem, don't go anywhere. The Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to change and transform and impact you in a matter of days. Jesus then goes up to heaven, which you think, if someone tells you to do something and then they kind of, before you rise, go upwards into heaven, you'd be like, I'm going to do what that guy's just said. And then the apostles go, well, we're one down because Judas was a little bit of a bad egg. We need to replace him. Hopefully the background check will be better this time. And they choose Matthias to replace Judas. Now, Jesus has already told them it's better that he goes, which is crazy because they seem to do amazing things. And he's saying, actually, it's better that I go away, which, you know, I'd have some issues if, if that was going on. But he says he won't leave them as orphans. Now, for them as first century Jews, the Holy Spirit baptizing them is a huge deal. We can be a little bit blasé about it. But for them, it's a massive, massive deal. Because in the Old Testament, there's not many occurrences, actually, of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon people. This is a rare occurrence. And when it did come, when he did come, it was on prophets, priests, kings, heroes, and judges, which is basically like kind of rulers that weren't kings in times of conflict. And it was a temporary thing so that they could do what God had asked them to do in God's power. So it was a momentary thing, a short-term thing. Now, the promise to them, and they are fishermen, tax collectors, ones that are religious terrorists. Okay? Some of them don't even know what they do, so they probably don't do that much. They're normal, everyday people. They're not prophets, priests, kings, generals, political leaders. They're like us, they're normal people. And they're being told the Holy Spirit, the very power of God, isn't just coming upon them, like on them then to go, but actually it's going to dwell within them. Not temporarily, but permanently. So they, common, ordinary men, are being told, this is going to happen to you in a couple of days. That's a massive deal. So let's go back to Acts 2. We're going to pick it up at chapter 1. Pentecost arrives. Boom. And the disciples are all together. Now we could go, oh, Pentecost. Well, what is Pentecost? Because Christians didn't invent Pentecost. So if we don't get that, we kind of just think, oh, it's it's about the Holy Spirit coming. It is, but it's actually a lot more because it's a Jewish festival. So what is Pentecost? What do we need to know about Pentecost to help us understand further and more deeply this whole thing of the coming of the Holy Spirit? Now, there were three important Jewish festivals that would happen every single year, And every male Jew who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem had to legally attend them, okay? Number one is Passover. We have an idea of what Passover is from Exodus. The second one is Pentecost. And the third one is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Pentecost is the Greek name. And it means 50th, as in 5 times 10, 50th. Another name for it was the Feast of of weeks, as in, you know, seven days make a week, the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost, 50th, 
fell on the 50th day after Passover, hence the name. In effect, it was a week of weeks, 49 days, 7 times 7, then the next one is, oh, Pentecost. Now, Passover was always in the middle of April, according to our year, which means that Pentecost would be 50 days later, around the beginning of June. Oh, like us today. Now, Passover, which we know is obviously all about, you know, there's the, uh, the, the exodus and let my people go and, okay, you know, let's paint a door frame with blood and yay, you know, all that sort of stuff. But Passover also was the beginning of harvest, okay? Now, if you live in an agricultural society where your livelihood and your life is dependent on stuff growing in the ground that's good enough to eat and enough to eat to provide for yourself, your family, everybody, harvest is a huge thing. We don't think about that because we could go to Tesco's or Lidl or another supermarket brand of your own choice and go, oh, look, tin food that we'll keep for 35 years, which is great if there's a zombie apocalypse. And we can get other things which have got crazy additives in it. And we don't have to think about harvest because these grapes have probably been shipped across from the other side of the world and they probably were plucked 45 years ago, but they're okay, yay modern science. Harvest is not as much as a pressing thing for us, but for them it was massive. Passover is the start of harvest and it's when the first crops that grew are given to God. It's the concept of the first fruits. God, this might be all that we get. We're going to give it to you in faith that we're going to get more Jesus. Here's my bit of corn or whatever. Pentecost, 50 days later, actually after the harvest season, sees two loaves, which are made of grain, which obviously comes from the harvest, given to God to say, thank you. You've given all that we need. We've got enough to eat. We can continue to look to you. Okay? So that's what Pentecost is. It's saying thank you for the harvest. Also, Pentecost commemorates the giving of the law to Moses at Mount Sinai. You know, when he goes up, comes down, carrying tablets of stone, it's celebrating that, which in effect would have been 50 days after the Passover, the first Passover, Pharaoh, get out, take your gold, leave me alone. 50 days later, around the mountain, Moses comes down and we have the whole Old Testament law starting to be given. So that's what Pentecost is about. Harvest and the giving of the law. Does that make sense? Okay. So we need to hold those two things together as we carry on reading what's going on. Okay. So everyone with me so far? Brilliant. Okay. So the first thing Pentecost shows us then is about the power of the Spirit. So the first few verses of Acts 2. So they're all gathered in a room. They're all a bit like, Jesus, you've gone away. We're here. Where are you? Cabin fever. There's a big harvest festival going on, but we're not going to move. We're stuck here. What are you doing? And then there's a noise like wind that comes in, and it fills the house. Something like fire appears, and it rests on them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in other tongues. So as I was kind of going through this, I'm kind of asking some questions, like, why wind? Why wind? Now, John 3 Jesus is having a lovely conversation with Nicodemus, who is a theologian, basically. And he uses the analogy of wind to describe the Holy Spirit. And there's a bit of wordplay there, because the Greek word for wind actually is the same word for spirit, the word pneuma. So there's a little bit of a wordplay going on. When you think about wind, no jokes, no sniggering, please, come on. 
I can, no, don't be immature now. When you think about wind, what do you think about? It's unseen. It's untamable. It's unpredictable, as weather forecasts frequently show us. And actually, it can be unstoppable. It can be violent and destructive, or it can be gentle and refreshing. It can be quiet, or it can be loud. It can be inconvenient, especially if you're trying to go to the beach and there's a wind and you get the sand in the face from the wind. <laughs> wind shifts, it literally shifts the entire atmosphere. We talk about wind power, but really, we're not controlling the wind, we're just harnessing it. Which means that we have to go, where is there lots of wind? We have to meet the wind on its terms and then basically embrace it and go, you're in charge, we're just going to basically try and hope for the best. That's just some of the things about wind. But what about fire? Why fire? All the men are like, fire, we love fire. Love fire. Barbecue season, we love fire. The one day of year we can have a barbecue in Scotland on our little barbecue. The ones that take, you know, four, four and a half hours to actually light, and then it's like the sun, and then you go, oh, here's a bit of black. I think it's meat, we're not sure. Now, scripture actually throughout the Old Testament shows fire to be a sign of the divine presence, the presence of God. So you think about the burning bush. You think about the cloud of fire in the wilderness. You think about John the Baptist saying, Someone's going to come and baptize you with fire, meaning the Holy Spirit. So fire brings heat and light. It purifies things. Fire always brings change. And if you don't believe me, stick your hand in the fire, I guarantee something's going to change. It always makes things happen. Fire can be pleasant and soothing. Or it can be fearsome and destructive. Fire has to be treated with respect, care, and caution. You can't tame fire. You can't change it. All you can do with fire is try and channel it, put up barriers, and hide behind fire if you don't like what it's doing. So you only really get the benefits of fire if you play by its rules. You can't bend it to your ways. Again, we harness it by partnering with it as opposed to trying to control it. So like wind, like fire, these pictures are sort of saying to us something about the Holy Spirit, who is a person, not a force or an it, that he is powerful. He is untamable. He transforms environments, internal environments, external environments. He brings comfort or he brings discomfort. To get the benefit of the Holy Spirit, you need to partner with him and in most senses, yield to him. And like fire, like wind, he can be quenched or restricted, but it takes a lot of effort and a lot of resistance to actually do that and a lot of work. But it can be done. So what we can say about Pentecost is, the first thing about Pentecost is, it shows us the power of the Spirit available to all of us now as ordinary men and women. Amen? All believers, anyone, everyone, God makes us 
you, me, his home. His temple, which is a place of encounter, a place of meeting. Heaven touches earth where you are. So when we say bringing heaven to earth, what that means is, where are we? Where do we stand? Who do we interact with? What do we do? That's bringing heaven to earth in partnership with the wind of God, the fire of God, the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing that Pentecost shows us is life in the Spirit. Are you tracking with me? This is helpful? Great. Hopefully. Three of you. Brilliant. So looking at verse 5, next kind of chapter, sort of chunk of verses. There's Jews in Jerusalem, and we've already established that they have to be there because it's a festival. So this isn't unusual, there's Jews in Jerusalem, because it's a Jewish city. But there's an unusual, extraordinary number of Jews because it's a festival season. And they're from all over the known world. And they're probably visiting because it's the festival of weeks. Some of them have made the pilgrimage from miles away to come to celebrate and thank God for the harvest. So it's actually an act and an atmosphere of worship going on. Those who want to please God and honour God are there. They've trekked across the world to say, God, thank you. So these are people who are open to God. These are people who are not doing this out of a religious devotion, like, oh, we've got to be there. Maybe some of them are there because they have to, because they live within 20 miles of Jerusalem. But when you look at the list of countries, we're talking across the Mediterranean. We're talking across Arabia. We're talking down to Africa. Europe, Asia, Africa are all represented and intersecting here in Jerusalem right now as God chooses to move. There's a sovereign thing going on here. The guys, the disciples who are filled with the Spirit and start to speak in tongues come out. And the, the people who were visitors, the pilgrims, if you were, they hear the commotion, they hear the noise, they hear the wind that's been shaking the house. What is this? What is that? They come out and they hear ordinary Galileans who were... Um, basically it was a bit of a rough area and not a very educated area. So they're seeing people from that area with those accents speaking their languages, hearing their languages, hearing people singing and praising God in their language. And they're saying, what is this? And some of them are, what is this, you crazy people? You are drunk out of your faces. And some of them are like, what is this? God is here. So why tongues? I'm actually really thankful that God went ahead of me and we had a tongue and interpretation this morning because I was going to talk about it. What's also really good is that it was a really good one because that makes it a lot easier. Otherwise, it sounds like I'm telling people off, which is not what you want. But praise God, Jan, Catherine, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Let's thank Jesus for them and thank Jesus that it doesn't make an awkward moment for me, which is what I'm probably really more interested in. So why tongues? Tongues is a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? Let's really be honest. If you're not a Christian here, I totally get why it's a weird mental thing for you. Okay? If you're a bit like, it's just, it's just made up nonsense, it's gibberish. Are you drunk, really? I get it, I get it. So let me talk about tongues and what the Bible says about tongues. Okay? Now tongues, as we can see in this passage, is upwards. Okay? They are talking to God. Because they're praising God, they're thanking God. Other people are hearing it, but what are they saying? Well, these people are praising God. So the tongues isn't directed to other people, it's directed to God. Okay? And that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is talking about, which is basically the, good debate, the best chapter when it talks about tongues. 
Because the Corinthians are the most crazy, charismatic people in the world. They are the people who wear the white suits. They are the people who are lumping up and down, going, hallelujah, hallelujah. They are those kind of people. That is the Corinthian church. And Paul is just saying, right, easy tigers. You guys stop talking. Listen to that person. Then you listen. Just wait your turn. Stop being stupid. No, you can't do Really? That's basically what Corinthians is about. Stop being crazy people. Let's do this in a way that actually... People know what God's trying to do here, rather than you just kind of going, oh, let's just go mental with Holy Spirit. God is a God of order. So when he does do things, we need to give attention and pay attention to what he's doing, and not just go, and then move on. And that's what's going on here, okay? Tongues is upwards, primarily, okay? It's only outwards if it makes sense. Because I don't know about you, but if someone starts speaking tongues at me, you know, like, you know, I like it when people say, hi, Anthony. But if someone walks up to me and goes, blah, 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 bless you. I'm like, not really. I, I have no idea if you just need to take some medication or if you're just weird. Or you need, you know, Christians and social skills don't always go together. Things like that. If that offends you, maybe that's you. I say things like that and I'm looking at my wife and if she's like, no. But... She's not here. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> Tong- tongues is up. Oh, hi, babes. <laughs> I'm not looking, so I don't know if I'm going to get the look or not. It's fine. So tongues is upwards, but it's only outwards if it's understood. And that's why we have a gift of interpretation. Now, interpretation is not translation. It's capturing the essence and the heart and the spirit behind the tongue. But because tongues is upwards, an interpretation should be upwards. Otherwise, you're changing it from tongues to something else, a sermon or a prophetic word or something that's not tongues. And that doesn't mean that what you're saying is rubbish or wrong. It just means the tongue isn't being interpreted. So tongues is upwards. We need to wait for the interpretation, which is upwards. And that's why when Jan brought her tongue, Catherine brought her song, which was, guess what? To God wasn't it? It was praise to God. It was acknowledging and being responded to God. It was a prayer to God. It was worship to God. And the whole purpose of tongues then is privately to ourselves. It edifies ourselves. It, and that, you know, that's where we get the word edifice, like kind of strong or structural. And in the Greek, what it's got is a sense of edification is you build an extension. That's what it means. And like when you have a house, and I know there's a few architects here, so forgive the, the layman's terms things, you just make it bigger you just make you increase the capacity of the house so when you edify yourself you're just increasing your own capacity to house God basically God fills us and he's like great I've got a bit more to fill in that kind of sense so when tongues is understood it should edify those who understand it it edifies them so what tongues should do in worship is shift the atmosphere and lift everyone's perspective upwards and when people go, yes, and that's what we felt in the worship. When the tongue was brought, there was a lift, wasn't there? There was a moment, yes. And that's what I got that, right, this is what God's doing, the shield, the deliverer. We need to minister to this. That's why I had to start. Before I say what I think we need to say, God, this is what you're saying. We need to speak into that. Because when God speaks, you have to respond in some way. And so that's what we do with tongues and interpretation of tongues. Because then it creates that environment, that atmosphere of faith. And then the prophetic flows. Then the word of knowledge flows. Then the different ministry gifts flow. Because we've primarily connected to God and flow out from that place of connection with the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that's what Acts 2 shows us. 
God did something in the hearts of those hearers through the gift of tongues. Also, early on in Acts 1, verse 8, we get a clue to this whole thing about the Holy Spirit. Why he's come. Why he partners with us. Why he resides within us, okay? You ready? Acts 1, 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the ends of the earth. So we, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us actually so that we can be witnesses. We can tell other people about Jesus and God and what God is doing and saying. To Jerusalem, so people who are the same as us. To Judea, people who are similar to us. To Samaria, people who are offensive to us because the Samarians and the Jews didn't like each other. And to the ends of the earth, people who are different to us. So people who are like us, people who are similar to us, people who offend us, and people who are totally and utterly different to us. That's the point. It's not just we've got our own little kind of, well, I'll talk to my people who are my friends, because they're all Christians anyway, so it's different. It's like, no, no, we're meant to be witnesses to the end of the earth. And the Holy Spirit will give us the wisdom and the power and the ability to transcend cultures and work through and navigate a fence and relationship because we're sharing Jesus and what he says and what he does as witnesses because we are those who can say what he does and what he says and that's what we share. So, may I raise and wave a little warning flag? Is that okay? If not, I'll do it anyway, but... We, as New Testament Christians, as a New Testament church, wherever we are from, whatever country, whatever church we're from, need to be really mindful of this, that we don't, in our excitement and zeal and passion for God, which are amazing, don't reduce the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit to being happy, clappy Holy Spirit clubs. We don't want to lose sight that actually encounters with God are not actually primarily just for us, but they're for others. They are to connect us with God so that we can go out there and connect to others who don't know God and connect him to them. So we enjoy God, but we are taking the God we enjoy to those who don't know him. We gather around the presence, but then we go from the presence because the presence is in us, taking the presence to those who don't know the presence. That's the biblical pattern from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's not a New Testament thing. That's always been the way. Now, it means that that can look like lots of different things. One way it looks is we lay hands on people when they're okay with it to see if they're going to get healed. That's totally okay. But there's other things as well. Because if we make it all about healing, all we're going to do is, anyone here who's not great at that or struggle with that or hasn't seen it is going to feel totally alienated and a second-class Christian. And actually, that's really, really not what it's about. Healing is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit's power. But you know what? There's lots and lots and lots of others, okay? There is the love stuff. We love people well. The compassion stuff. The mercy stuff. The peace stuff, bringing peace to situations. The joy stuff. The righteous living and talking and carrying on at how we do things. The being faithful stuff. The kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy. 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. We, give, we love the first bit of that verse, but the second bit is the key and the understanding. This is the normal Christian walk. A partnership with God, showing the world what he's really like in a way that makes them go, what's this? What's that? What's going on here? I don't understand it. The second thing then that Pentecost shows us is what life in the Spirit looks like. Being the hands, the feet, the voice, the heart of God in and around the world. Because if God is good, people should experience the goodness of God through us. That may look like healing, but it's going to look like a lot of other things as well. Amen? Still with me? Fantastic. The third thing Pentecost shows us is the mission of God by the Spirit. Mission by the Spirit. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit boldness. Now remember, this is Peter who got a little bit nervous when a servant girl asked him if he knew Jesus and denied Jesus three times. Full of the Holy Spirit, which is so he's not naturally bold. The Holy Spirit gives him boldness. There's a great thing for all of us who are maybe not the kind of crazy evangelist people, you know. You, get, you know those people. Oh, there's, there's 700 people and they've all got guns. Let me talk to them about Jesus. I'm not that. I'm the guy hiding. Peter, full of the Holy Spirit boldness, starts to preach to all the people who have gathered around this crowd that's gathered. He quotes Joel, the book of Joel, chapter 2, which they would have been familiar with because they're Jews. And what that prophesies is the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, this thing you've read about that was written hundreds of years ago is this, right now, before your own eyes. The Holy Spirit, the promise of God, is to pour the Spirit of God on all flesh, irrespective of their age, irrespective of gender, irrespective of social standing. And he preaches the gospel to them. Jesus of Nazareth, crucified yet resurrected and now seated with God. 3,000 hear this message, seen the sign and wonder of tongue, because signs and wonders are always about God. Signs point to someone, and a wonder makes you go, wow, I can't help, I can't look away now, because I don't get that. That's how Jesus ministered. Boom, there's a miracle. Now you're all listening, let me tell you about the kingdom. Or, I'll tell you about the kingdom, boom. You don't believe me? Get up and walk. Oh, now you want to listen to me. Okay? 3,000 people choose to follow Jesus and join the fledgling church. That's an administrative nightmare. If that happened to the welcome team, I would laugh because I'm not on it. I'm not on it. So I'd be like, <laughs> I'm over here trying to make sure I get a cake. I've got, I want a cake. In that Holy Spirit way. 3,000 people are one to Christ. Like I said, many of them are pilgrims, many of them are foreign nations because of the languages. And there's probably as well Gentiles who have converted to Judaism as well. Okay? Now, here's an interesting thing, or maybe interesting just to me. There is a parallel here with the 3,000 people who are saved through seeing the gift of tongues with Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel. God used the division of languages to separate and now he uses the distinctive of languages to bring united and connection. There's a parallel. There's a parallel. So Pentecost is a prophetic announcement. 
it's restorative and prophetic because it's the heart of God being displayed, undoing which, something that was never supposed to happen because humanity was never meant to be separated and disconnected from God. And it was never meant to camp around and build their own tower to their own greatness and reject God. And God was like, I need to do this because otherwise they're going to do their own thing and never come back to me. Tongues and Pentecost redeems and undoes all of that. Now also, 3,000 is an interesting number. Why do you ask? Or not? Now remember, Pentecost means 50. And remember, it celebrates the giving of the law. Okay? Now the Jewish tradition, as I said earlier, 50 days after the first Passover, God gave the commandments and the Old Testament laws to the Jews. Now remember the story, okay? It's the whole thing with the golden calf. They camp around Mount Sinai. God's there in a thunderstorm and lightning and thunder. And all the people are like, we are really scared. We're so scared. Ah, Moses, you go and talk to God. Because if you die, it's okay because it's not us. You go, Moses. You go, Moses. So Moses goes up the mountain. And for 40 days, he's not there. Now, 40 days in Scripture is always a period of change or transition. Okay? 40 days he's gone. Now the people are like, hmm, Moses is probably dead. Moses is probably dead. We're not going to go and get his body. It's his fault. He went up there. We tried to stop him, but no, he went up and did his own thing. And they get a little bit kind of crazy. And what ends up happening is they take all the gold they got from Egypt, which is the blessing of God to them, and melt it down and make it into a golden calf and worship it, saying, oh, this is the thing that took us out of Egypt. Yay, yay, yay. In the meantime, God and Moses have been chatting because God's been dictating to Moses the law, all the things that we read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and stuff like that. And all of a sudden God's like, Moses, oh, those people, they do my nutting. I need to wipe them out and we'll start again, just me and you, because I can't cope with it. And Moses is like, no, 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 we'll sort it, we'll sort it. Goes down, as he's going down carrying the tablets of stone, sees what they're doing, basically breaking, in effect, nearly all of the Ten Commandments in you know, one horrible party, Loses his rag, works out who's faithful amongst the people and who's not, and basically says, look, these people who are clearly not God's people, we need to get rid of them, they need to be wiped out from our people because they're not us. And how many people are judged and punished through the death sentence? 3,000. 3,000. So what we can say is this, that the very first festival of weeks, the very first Pentecost under the old covenant, 3,000 die for breaking the, the law of God. The very first festival of weeks under the new covenant, 3,000 are saved. The law kills, the spirit brings life. Living by rules and standards and obligations and doing things because you have to is fruitless. Because we never make our own standards, let alone God's standards. And God actually meant it that way so that we would come to him for relationship and not his rules for relationship. Legalism is when we relate to rules rather than relating to the Father. The heart of God's always been, talk to me, talk to me. Living with by the Spirit means that God lives within us and it gives us the power and boldness to do all the things that he asks us to do. So what we're seeing in this Pentecost is a harvest festival because we've seen a harvest of salvation. And not just for the Jews, but for the Jews from other nations. And not just for the Jews, but for all nations. All tribes, all nations, all, all ethnicities, whether Jewish or not. Because God's friendship 
is actually for all people everywhere. And so in the new covenant, there is no more division, no more outcasts, no more outsiders. All are welcome and grafted into the family of God. All are adopted. That is what it means. So that is the mission of the Spirit. It's an open field for all people. With me? Okay, my last point, the people of the Spirit. The fourth thing Pentecost shows is the people of the Spirit. So these believers, these 3,000 plus believers, come and gather together. The old ones, the new ones, they begin meeting. And there's a sense of devotion and enjoyment about what God is doing. Not just enjoying God, but enjoying each other. And they build a good reputation with outsiders, which means that other people start joining them. And what we see is they meet together in two ways. They meet at the temple, which means big public gatherings, open to outsiders. And they meet in homes, which are private and smaller family gatherings, more intimate. That shows us what, as believers, we need. We need the corporate gathering of church, of people together, but we need the smaller gatherings of church in homes, in small groups, where we're known and we can be known. We need both. Corporate, intimate, formal, informal. And when they came together, they did four things. Four things. The first thing is they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That tells us that they had leaders. They had leaders. But also, it meant that they gave themselves to teaching. Now, it wouldn't necessarily be preaching like we often have in the West. It's much more a sense of they gave themselves, meaning they would have discussed and dialogued and chewed it over and bounced things off and sharpened each other and learned from one another and pushed back and challenged. But there was a sense of they listened to the leader and said, well, what does that mean? And chewed it over. They were, it was apostolic teaching, which means we just don't sit around looking at our belly buttons. It meant apostolic means sense. So there's a sense of this is teaching that leads to action, to movement, to momentum. It should do something within us so that we change. They weren't just soaking, they were going. The second thing was fellowship. Now that word means participation. It means active involvement. It doesn't just mean turning up and eating the biscuits, having coffee, not saying anything, and disappearing. It means giving themselves to community. Connecting with people through a common bond, which would have been Christ. Now interestingly, a Greek word for generosity comes from this same word. So then what this means is fellowship is not just living for one another, it means giving to one another. Giving of time, giving of talents, giving of energy, giving of resources, giving as the connection, the family connection. The third thing is that they broke bread. So they were Jesus-centered. They were Jesus-centered, which means not Bible-centered, not worship-centered, not healing-centered, not family-centered, not evangelism-centered, not inner healing-centered, not pastoral need-centered, not prophecy-centered, Jesus-centered. Because all those amazing, wonderful things are healthy and best when they flow out of being Jesus-centered. And then they, there was prayer. Upwards, a vertical perspective. Not inwards to themselves or even outwards to others. Primarily, before all those things, they were God-conscious and God-aware. Yeah. And as they did these things, the fruit was that God met them and they were filled with awe. 
Now, the Greek word there is fear, but what it means is the fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is knowing who God is and having a great perspective about God and changing how we live in line of that, re- that revelation. Now, we need that on- constantly ongoing. When we have fear in our lives, we need to get the fear of the Lord because we go, God, you're in control. You're steadfast. You're the most high. I repent. God, you're my shield. You're my deliverer. This reverence, this kind of God's awareness actually was the seedbed for the miraculous. That's when the miracles started to flow. And the love that they had for each other was practical because those who had a lot and abundance and plenty actually started to sell stuff to give to those who lacked. So love is practical. Love looks like something. I love you, but I know you're hungry. Bye. That's not love. Love looks like something. And there was a sense of joy, gratitude, and family. And God added to them daily. Added means there's a commitment to something and someone and the people. And saved means there's a transformation of life. The primary witness of the church, the world, actually seems to be how they do family and community really, really well. Actually, not worship settings, not amazing teaching, not even healings and miraculous. All those things are great. Love. Love. And so going to come into land now and do some ministry we've got three essential expressions of christian spirituality that we see from pentecost okay encountering god whatever that looks like individually but corporately enjoying god with those who know him in large meetings and in small meetings and sharing god with those who don't know him the primary way that people were part of the New Testament is through small groups, smaller meetings, one anothering. You see it throughout the scriptures. That's how we care for and are cared for. That's actually why small groups are a massive deal. It's not just, oh, it's an evening, I've got to do something. Oh, God, at least I'll get some, they better have good cakes this week. Oh. It's about how we give and receive. But where we gather on a Sunday, there's a difference. We need both. We need both. You can't reject one because if you do, you're going to have lopsided growth. Not only do you miss out, other people miss out. We need both. So, we've talked about the power of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, the mission of the Spirit, and people of the Spirit. We've got four different types of response, okay? And um, these lovely, lovely people here would love to pray for you. Now, I'm going to say four different things, and if these apply to you, I'll finish, I'll sit down, and then as people stand up for coffee and cake at the back, then come forward. Okay, I'm not going to have a big public come forward now. Just as we close and people meander, some will go that way and some of you come this way. If I don't say one of the four things, that doesn't mean you're not allowed to get prayer. So come forward. Get prayer for whatever you want. But primarily, there's four things that I think I feel like God would like to do today. Okay? All right. And some of you, I might need some more ministry teams. There could be a few people responding. Okay. So first one, we talked about the power of the Spirit. If you know you need to get filled again with the Holy Spirit because you feel a bit dry, you feel a little bit like it's been a bit of a, uh, you know, bit of a slog, or if you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit or you're not sure, come forward. We're going to pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit, okay? 
And it doesn't matter if you speak in tongues or not, if you end up speaking in tongues or not, that doesn't matter. It's about being connected and plugged in to God. So, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, we talked about the life of the Holy Spirit, what it means to live the normal Christian life. If you know you are withdrawn from God, you are disconnected from God, you're a bit like the prodigal. You've kind of turned away, you're kind of doing your own kind of little thing. There's an invitation today to come back and reconnect to God. Now, what that means is this. It's recognizing, Jesus, you're actually Lord and King. I'm not Lord and King of my life. So this is a repentance one. This is not just, I want to feel nice. This is a God, I've been doing my own thing. I need to do it your way in partnership with you. Okay, so getting filled with the Holy Spirit is the first one. The second one is coming back and saying, Jesus, you're my king. I want to do life your way. Number three, we talked about the mission of God, being mindful of those who don't know him and being witnesses, whatever that looks like, wherever God's put you. And for some of us, we find that really hard. And for some of us, we actually really, if we're honest, we've opted out. We're like, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not going to do that. For those of you who are like, yeah, I need to get God's heart for those who don't know him. There's an opportunity to come and get prayer for. And that looks like repentance again. That looks like Jesus. I don't look at things the way you look at things. Change my perspective. I'm sorry. That's you. So being filled with the Holy Spirit, reconnecting to God, getting a heart for those who don't know him. And lastly, we talked about the people of the Spirit. And for those of us who, we know we've backed away from the community of God's people. We've withdrawn from God's people. We are like opting out. We either just do church because it's a bit of a distant thing. We sit at the back and disappear. Not judging you through the back, just figuratively, obviously. Um, But, you know, you're kind of in and you're out. You're not part of small groups or you don't give yourself. It's like, you, you know, relationships and fellowship is not really something you're interested in. You're on the fringes and you know it. There's an opportunity again for you to come and repent and say, God, Church is people. You've always wanted the people filled with you. I need to plug in and opt in and say, yes, I'm part of this, even when it's a little bit rubbish or weird or I don't really get it. Okay, So we're going to finish in five. If you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit, get prayer. If you want to reconnect to God, come and get prayer. If you want to get God's heart for those who don't know him, come and get prayer. And lastly, if you know you've disconnected from God's people, come and get prayer. Thank you so much. Bless you. Jesus, I thank you for what you've been doing this morning and what you've been speaking to us. Lord, thank you for Pentecost that you gave yourself to live within us. Lord, bless us this weekend as your people. Bless us this week as your people that we can be witnesses to those who don't know you. And Lord, we pray next weekend for so many testimonies of where you've come in as a shield and you've come in as a deliverer. In the name of Jesus. Amen.